Lady Weem asks, Welcome, sweet Perth, you're to my soul most dear. Say, where is the prince, that dismal tale I'll hear? Or why do I speak, your grace? I'd rather hear. The Duke of Perth answers, Madam, since you command, I'll willingly obey. I'll tell the dismal story of the day when our brave clan so fast did fall by the destroying cannonball. The prince for them and to high heavens implored, Have mercy on their souls, good lord. His angel's voice, their dying souls charmed. Life stayed a while, till this the prince they warned. Fly, gracious prince, of thy fierce foes beware. Save, save thy life. Thy life is our greatest care. Let peace and joy in the bright bosom shine. If not on earth, in heaven you'll ever reign. To die for thee is a most glorious death. Therefore with pleasure we'll resign our breath where our distressed souls shall upward fly and soon shall join their kindred in the sky when all our sorrows will be ever over. Death will distract, nor pains oppress no more. So that was an excerpt from a poem titled After the Defeat at Culloden and in this episode we'll be talking more about poems, poetry, clan stories and the legacy of Jacobites. So Nicola, would you like to tell us a little bit more about that poem? Well um, I've taken to calling it the epic poem, it's, that's only a tiny bit of it, it's quite large um, and, um, and we, um, it's in the exhibition, people can come and see it, the, the actual written poem. Um, it was purchased back in uh, 2016 um, by, by ourselves for, through a grant which we got from the National Fund for Acquisitions um, and we've been publishing it in sections in our um, Friends of the Archive newsletter and it's also been used in a couple of exhibitions now and also as the subject of uh, a presentation. Okay, so in terms of presentations, is that people coming to you, you going out or speaking to groups or in the library, how does that work? Well, I'm, I'm actually part of the archive and local and family history team and I work with our, our assistant archivist, uh, Sarah Wilcock um, and we worked up a presentation based on the poem we regularly go out and give talks to interested groups historical societies uh, we have school groups um, and we have these groups they visit us in the AK Bell library uh, but usually we talk about what we do um, how people can access things and what interesting things we look after in our collections newspapers maps images documents books etc so we were quite excited about acquiring the poem at this time um, and we wanted to do something to use it um, and as I say it's on display as part of the Jacobite clan so people can go along now and see it for themselves um, but we recited um, we used we worked up a presentation and recited parts of it um, in the in the presentation and we looked at um, the poem itself and um, the subjects of it and other Jacobite heroines um, other women such as Lady Grange um, and Lady Pan Muir they're they're Jacobite women from the period um, and we added some songs as well to the poem so this is part of the legacy part of the exhibition. What comes on after that? Yeah, then? the Jacobites living on in song and, and verse is, is all about the legacy of that. And, and we'll have a couple of podcasts about that, I know. Um, the manuscript for this is a, is a poem in three parts. Um, the pers- first part, Folio 1, has um, about 39 lines written as a fictionalised conversation between Lady Weem and the Duke of Perth. Um, and she's asking for a description of the Battle of Culloden. That's a wee bit that I've just read there just now. Lady Weem asks and the Duke of Perth answers. Um, Folio 2 is seven lines written as a fictionalised reply um, from Lady Weem and um, Folio 3 is another 32 lines written as a a conversation between um, a Major Lockhart and the Duke of Cumberland. Um, The final ten lines are written from Charles Edward Stewart's perspective following the brutal defeat of the Jacobite forces at Culloden. 
So why do we start at the end? Well, we're right at the end of the time frame again um, with, with Culloden, um, from Killycrankey right through to Culloden. Of course, that's what we cover in our exhibition. Um, and the main question for us was, who's Lady Weem? Um, she must have been someone um, important at the time for the author to single her out as the only uh, female character in the poem. And while she has a very small part um, in the poem, her role is quite significant as she represents the hundreds, if not thousands of women who were who were at home, left at home waiting for news of what would be uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie's last stand. And so our question, who was Lady Wee? This is great for me as it ties in with other search I've done on Jacobite noblewomen. So finding another one to explore uh, has been a great part of the process of getting the poem. So do you know who she was or have you uncovered any information about her? Well, Sarah did a lot of work on this actually as well um, and we, we couldn't find a huge amount, but Lady Weem was the title given to Lady Mary Mingus. Uh, wife of Chief Sir Robert Mingus of Mingus, um, the third baronet, very grand. Um, born in 1713, she was the eldest daughter of James, the second Earl of Butte, and Lady Anne Campbell, the daughter of Archibald Campbell, first Duke of Argyll. So she's from quite um, major stock, if you like. Through her father, Mary could trace her lineage back to Robert, um, King of Scots, Robert the Bruce. Um, who founded the Stuart line. So the, the Butte branch comes through Robert's son, John Stuart, and his mistress, Moira Leach, who was appointed uh, Sheriff of Butte and Arran uh, around 1385. So she's taking her family lineage all the way back, and that's what the big noble families can do. You have to prove who, who you are. So Lady Mary Mingus, um, Lady Weem, was the sister to John Stuart, the third Earl of Butte, um, and he was the first Lord of the Treasury. Um, and James Stuart Mackenzie uh, was another brother um, who became the Lord Privy Seal of Scotland. Um, so she's got these brothers and um, and this great lineage for, through her father and her mother. Um, she died. We know she died in 1773, leaving behind one daughter, Christian, um, Christian Mingus. Um, now, they're another family that have a big um, family history volume here in the AK Bell from talking about those big books following the big history. So it's the, the red and white book of Mingus. Um, um, Lady Mary set the standard. This, this, the description there is that Lady Mary set the standard for Highland hospitality to Charles Edward Stuart when Bonnie and Prince Charlie arrived. She's one of these women that, that, that entertains them. So it reads, and I'll just read a wee bit from the book. Lady Mingus was particularly attentive to the prince. She always set dinner for him and his officers in the most approved style. The household of the prince consisted of about 70 persons. There were always 10 covers set upon the prince's own table and eight upon tables for his others in the old banqueting hall at Castle Mingus where the whole party dined in state. The hospitality of Lady Mingus to the Prince was an example to other Highland ladies who vied with each other to do the same. That's the, that's the quote there, so I quite like that. And that really, I mean, her family history there, who her parents are, who her brothers are, um, and her daughter, and that's really all we know about Lady Mary Mingus. None of her personal letters and correspondence appears to have survived. Um, her own thoughts on Charlie and the Jacobite risings are, are not known. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame that the, all we really have now is just a few lines in a book and just a little bit of information that she knew how to host like a nice dinner party. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, what's curious to consider is whether she was truly a Jacobite at all. Um, it's really difficult to tell what choices women made when, when the accounts might not survive. We don't have anything from them. And all we have are these kind of smaller anecdotes. Um, nothing survives to tell us what Mary thought of all that was happening around her. And it's been one of my big challenges when looking at Jacobite women um, to see past that kind of anecdote or the heroic act and try, if we can, to find out more about a whole life and not just one little event. 
Um, so you see on the on the back of that one report, we might think that Lady Weem was a committed Jacobite, uh, ready to do all kinds of things to support the cause. But do we really know that at all? So what can you do when you don't really have any information to go on? Well, that's the great skill in, in doing family history. Um, and people, you know, are far better genealogists than I am. Um, some of my team are very good at this kind of work. Um, and the, and one of the secrets I've learned from, from, from the people I work with is to look, a look at the people around a person. Um, and, and if you don't have an awful lot to go on for that person, often filling in the details and the bigger picture can give you clues. So it's the it's the men surrounding her that we were looking at really in order to sort of get an idea of her own feelings. Um, and could it be that her actions were um, dictated by the men, you know, actually driven by what people are doing? So her father's James Stewart, the second Earl of Butte. Um, and he'd been appointed commissioner for, for trade um, in Scotland as well as was a lord of the bedchamber. Now, during the, the 15 uprising, he'd commanded uh, the Butte and Argyle militia and had kept the peace in that area. So he supported the Hanoverian, the government side. An even stronger supporter of King George was her brother, John Stuart, the third Earl of Butte. Um, he was a tutor to Prince George. So upon the prince's rise to the throne, he was created a privy councillor and first lord of the, the treasury. The other brother, James Stuart Mackenzie, was also a privy councillor, an MP and Lord Privy Seal of Scotland. So he certainly wasn't flying the flag for Charlie. So the you know points to the fact that they're all government and and you know they're they're not Jacobites. So despite all of these strong ties to the monarchy, she marries a Jacobite, Chief Sir Robert Mingus of Mingus the Third Baronet. So this is this old insurance policy that keeps kind of <laughs> cropping up. And do you think this is maybe a case of keeping a foot in both camps? Well, well, it could be. Um, where we see that in all families, don't we, that we've described. Um, but as the wife of a Jacobite, she probably would be expected to support her husband's cause, regardless of her father and her brother's views and, and, and stance. So when Charles Edward Stewart appeared on her doorstep, um, there was very little she could do but welcome him in and show him every courtesy and support of her husband. It could be argued that the level of her attention towards the prince was probably a good sign that she had an affinity towards him. And perhaps we do her a bit of an injustice to suggest that maybe the men around her determined her actions, because that's not the case for other women um, um, and her mindset rather than her own. But as nothing of her survives, it's really difficult to get to the truth of, or, or you know, even to understand her, her feelings. So we can only really speculate through the actions um, of those surrounding her. Uh, she did suffer the consequences of this allegiance through her husband, of course. Um, while Robert was in support of Charlie's campaign, he's reported as being lame and unfit for action um, and active service. And so he deputised um, a chieftain, John Mingus of Sheehan and Glenquaich, I think it's Glenquaich, to lead the Mingus forces. Uh, and this meant that he was still in residence um, when Cumberland's troops arrived at Castle Mingus in Charlie's wake. Lady Weem and Sir Robert were removed from Castle Mingus. This is after Bonnie Prince Charlie's been through, they've entertained him. And then as all the men move on, um, Cumberland arrives. This is the government army arriving, so they're not going to be nearly as, 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 as pleasant. So Lady Weem and Sir Robert are removed from Castle Mingus by Cumberland's troops and sent to stay in one of the estate houses that was pretty much unfit for habitation. Much of their furniture and possessions were damaged or destroyed by the, the government forces um, and up to an estimated total of around £6,000. Um, but the estate was not forfeit despite their Jacobite sympathies. Um, had the property and title been lost, um, it's unlikely that they would have found aid from her family, um, who again would not wish to be closely associated with uh, traitors to their king, daughter, daughter or not. 
So Castle Mingus, um, what's left of it now? Well, it's a wonderful castle um, and we're so glad to have worked with um, them as our partners in this as well because um, we visited there and it's another place on our kind of um, map and people can go and um, see uh, Castle Mingus, but it's uh, it's lovely. It's just beyond... Um, Aberfeldy, uh, Weem, just near Weem, and it's open to the public um, and has a walled garden. They hold events there and all sorts. Um, it was rescued as a ruin in 1957. It had fallen into disrepair. I think a great deal of um, the, the estate and all sorts of things were sold off at one point. Mingus used to have a huge land ownership and estate, but it was sold off in the early 1900s. So it was fallen into disrepair um, and a great deal, as I say, was lost. But the clan Mingus Society restored it and they continue to work on it. Um, it's architecturally quite fascinating, I believe. Um, it has a different kind of footprint and you can look at all the ways that that's been built upon. Um, and they have a lot of information on site and there are publications too. Um, it's a working venue too, to, to obviously keep it going. They, they do events um, and all kinds of things there. So the history is being preserved by the clan to this day. Um, and there is a gorgeous walled garden which you can see from the castle across there and there's lots of lovely planting there. Um, some of our great plant hunters, um, Archibald Mingus, came from the Aberfeldy area. He was somebody that brought back wow. some of the great trees and plants. So they're actually, um, he was known as the um, the monkey puzzle man. He discovered the monkey puzzle and brought it back to this country along with lots of other plants and that's one of the things they have in the walled garden. So it's a wee aside to the story, mm -hmm. but he's still, um, still a Mingus. So in the grand scheme of things, the Minguses at the time of the 45 were pretty lucky. Because Robert had not actively participated in the rebellion, they were restored to their home and were later awarded um, some compensation for the damage to their property and possessions. Um, and nor did Lady Weem lose the, the company or the, uh, the friendship of her family because we have evidence in, uh, in a letter written to her from Lady Jane Douglas. Lady Jane states that it gives her great pleasure to think how happy my dear Lady Mary has been these past few months in the company of her brother and such a brother as Mr Mackenzie. So that's obviously a link there um, in another life, um, another letters, I should say. Mm -hmm. Lady Weem um, is a woman whose life remains mostly hidden from us. Um, and we just see her in this wee snapshot of time responding to the situation she finds herself in, which I think is really quite interesting. And that's what's in our epic poem, which people can go and see at the Jacobite Clans exhibition. Cool. So Jacobite Clans is open at Perth Museum and Art Gallery until October 26th. Museums open Tuesday to Sunday, 10am till 5pm, and admission is free. You can find out more information on our website, www.culturepk.org.uk. 